stuff. Hey, well, um, it is Father's Day today, and we're starting a new series. We're going to be talking about uh, fathers a little bit, but we're starting a new series, and it's uh, one that's about a guy in the Bible named Elijah, and I'm going to get to why there's a picture of uh, a raven right there, some birds, and we're starting a series on Elijah, and Elijah is this powerful man of God. You ever read about him in the Bible that he's considered to be one of the most, if not the most dramatic, powerful prophets in all of the Old Testament. And he's even mentioned hundreds of years later in the New Testament by Jesus himself, by some of the other disciples referred back to as this great man of God. But um, he had this identity, he had this reputation and this role that didn't come overnight. It was slowly built. And so there's stuff we can learn from today about building a new identity because how many of you in the room here today, you want to become a better person? You want to have a better identity? Anybody? Yes, a lot of hands went up, but let me just put it like this. How many of you are happy with where you're at or you want to get worse? <laughs> None of us, right? So if you didn't raise your hand, I think the first one applies. We want to get better, right? Like we want to be better like dads. It's Father's Day. Like how many of you dads, you want to be a better dad? Like I've been thinking about it lately. My kids are in this unique season of life, and it's my season too because we're a family, right, is they're growing up and they're moving into adulthood, and my daughter's 21 already, and she's going to be moving to L.A. She was living in San Francisco for a while. She came home, and we saw her, her younger brother, 18. Isaac graduated from high school, and, and he had his grad party, and he's getting ready to move to the mainland as well. Of all places, he's going to Bible college. Can you believe it? Like, I, I'm happy, but I'm also like... I didn't force him to. I didn't suggest it. None, like, if anything, I'm kind of like telling him, you maybe need to rethink that. Like, it's not the best career to go into. Take it from me. Like, it's rough. I don't know if you guys know this, but you step out in faith for God to do big things and you give your life to him. It comes at a cost. You take cracks sometimes. There's sacrifice involved. And God will stretch your faith. And it's, it's anybody you know in ministry, and you might look at them and go, oh, it's easy. They're living the, the best life. No, you know what it takes to get them into that place, in that position, and to keep them there. It's a lot of stuff that I, I don't necessarily want to wish on anybody. So with my son, I'm like, you sure about this, man? You prayed about You really want to go into full-time ministry? And he, yep, dad, I think this is what God's calling me to. So I got to say this. I'm super proud. I'm a proud dad. I'm excited. But with my two older kids, I still got an 11-year-old daughter at home too. But with the two older ones growing up, getting independent, living their own lives, leaving home and moving to the mainland. It's, it's interesting for me. And I'm trying to be the absolute best dad I can be. All you dads in the room here today, you need to know that God sees you and he believes in you. And even if we don't get the credit from everybody else around us, like you're doing a good job. You're doing better than you think you are. You just need to know that on Father's Day here, that it's new, it's hard, it's a tough life that we live. And I'm trying to figure out how to be the best dad I can be. Love my kids, protect them, believe in them, be proud of them, but at the same time, give them freedom to grow. And I'm like, they're, they're adults now. They're out with their friends all the time. And I don't want to take that away from them. I trust them. They're good kids, but there's part of me that's like, but I don't want them to leave because I love them. They're still my kids, you know? And there's, there's all this going on. So today's message, let me just say, as I'm preaching to you guys about building a new identity and becoming better, the Holy Spirit first preaches it to me before I get to preach it to you. And so I'm taking heed to what's going on, and I'm going, man, I, I got some weaknesses, some shortcomings. I'm not the best dad, but I'm trying to get better. So today's message, I'm praying that whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you're a student, it doesn't even matter who you are, is God promises us that we can have a new identity in him. Amen? 
Like he says, no, I can do something big in your life. I can make you better. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here today is that Ephesians 4, we start off with, it's the Apostle Paul talking and he's writing to this, Ephes- this church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. But really his words are for all Christians everywhere. Here's what he says. He goes, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is before you met Christ, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Look, every single one of us wants to get better. We've all been promised by God, if we would go his way and believe in him, that he's going to create a new nature in us. But it's not what we think sometimes. If I say yes to Jesus, become a Christian, overnight I'm going to become the best man or best woman or best whatever I can possibly be. And God goes, no, no, you just started the process. And I want you guys to understand today that what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks about Elijah, mighty man of God, prophet of God, spokesman of God, one of two people in the Bible that never died but went straight to heaven without dying, right? You read that and just there's this guy named Enoch and there's this guy, Elijah, that went straight from living on planet Earth straight to heaven. Even Jesus died, but this, I mean, this is a big man of God, this guy, Elijah. But here's what I want you guys to catch today. It was a process. And I believe that in all of our lives, becoming better dads, moms, or whatever, just becoming better people in general, it is a continual process. So I'm gonna talk about the process a little bit. Talk about... How do we get this new identity that God wants us to have, a new nature where we're better? Well, let's start by identifying a little bit of the problems and the things that are preventing us from taking on this new identity. Let's talk about identity crisis a little bit. Let's talk about the way that we think about ourselves. And yes, we all want to have that new nature, but there's stuff in our lives that's holding us back. And in your notes, you can find it in the the paper that we handed out to you, or it's on the Anchor Church app. You can fill it in right now. And here's the first thing that holds us back, I believe, from the new identity, is shame. Shame holds us back. How many of you guys, if, if you think about, you take an inventory about yourself, remember the question I asked you last week. Here's a good question to ask yourself every once in a while. Do I like who I'm becoming? That's a great question to ask yourself. Self-inventory, self-evaluation. Do I like, take a look at the mirror in the morning when you get up. Do I like the person that's in there? Do I like who they're becoming? And we ask ourselves this question. Is there things in our life that we'd say, no, because I've done this and I said that and I'm this kind of a person and we're ashamed of the things that we've done, the things that we've said, the actions, the stuff in our past maybe. We've made some mistakes We feel guilty because we made some poor choices. We hurt some people. Maybe we self-destructively hurt ourselves. And we're living in this this thing of shame that is holding us back from this new identity that God wants for us. Maybe you're your own worst enemy. You talk yourself into the shame and and how you feel. Uh, I could be better, but I don't think so because this is me. I'm just normally like this. Maybe it's other people. Yeah, people in your life, people that shame you, people that remind you of how bad you are, people that make you feel unworthy. Anybody have people like that in their lives? Yeah, think people that talk negatively and bring you down and and keep you trapped in that shame. Let me tell you, if you have people like that in your lives, here's my word of advice. Find new people. Find new people. Don't put up with that kind of stuff. And if they're in your life and they're there, just get over that. Don't listen to what they have to say. Remember Jesus in scripture. He caught the woman... There's a woman that was caught in adultery by all the religious leaders. And they're like, man, she's, she's totally blowing it. She's caught in adultery. We're going to stone her. She deserves to die, all of this. And Jesus comes along. And long story short, he basically says, it looks like you want to change. Like, you don't want to be trapped in where you're at anymore. 
and yet you still keep falling into the same old habits. And Jesus just simply said this, hey, just stop doing that. Remember what his exact words were? Go and sin no more. Where's all you people that want to condemn you? Oh, they're not around anymore? Then neither do I condemn you. But here's what I want you to do. Stop being trapped in your shame and falling into the same old patterns and habits and look forward, get rid of that stuff and go and sin no more. For some of you here today, there's your word, the reason you came to church today. You keep beating yourself up in shame. God's trying to make your life better. And you're like, no, no, I'm unworthy. I'm not. He says I'm unworthy. She says I'm unworthy. I think I'm unworthy. And God's just saying, time to move past that. Amen? Come on, we got to stop being held back by shame. Secondly, here's something that keeps our identity from growing into what God has for us. We're too complacent to grow. Too complacent to grow. That means we're not moving. We're just stagnant. We're too comfortable right where we're at. And it's not a matter of, well, I'm ashamed. It's just more like, no, I'm good. I'm good enough. Like, I, I, my identity is okay. I'm fine with it. I sure it could get be better, but I just, I just don't feel like it. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really thankful that the trade winds are back, right? Because there was a couple weeks when it was really hot and humid in Hawaii. You guys feeling me on that one? Like, we've been breaking records. I've been reading in the weather, like, wow, it hasn't been this hot and humid since, you know, whatever. And it's been hot around here. The worst thing about being hot is being hot when you're sleeping. Anybody feel me? Like, at night, it's one thing in the daytime. I can jump in the pool or whatever. But at night, when you're just laying there and the fan is not cutting it, and you're just like, ah. Oh. I woke up the other night, and I was all sweaty, and I was all, like, just like, ah. Oh. And the fan was on, but I'm like, oh, man. I just, I need to be cool. This is like, I was all mad in my sleep. Right? I woke up just angry. And I just remember this. As I'm laying there in my bed, I'm, wait, we have air conditioning. We have like this killer, like the central air. We have one on the wall in my room. All I got to do right now is get up, go over there, press the button, probably got to close the windows, you know, to let no air in, and I'll be fine. But you know what I said to myself? But I'm too comfortable. Like, I'm hot and sweaty, but I'm too lazy to walk across the room right now. And I was such a lazy pig that I laid there in bed, and I'm not, I'm too comfortable. I'm not getting up. Fell back asleep. Woke right back up a little while later, hot again, still the whole night long, tossing and turning, more bitter, more angry, but too lazy to do anything about it, right? I woke up in the morning just bothered and mad and had to jump in the shower and everything. Like, ah, but who am I, who, who should I blame in all that? No one but me. Why? Because I'm too complacent. Listen, our faith is like that sometimes. Our belief in God and the belief that God could bring me to a place of cool, refreshing, new identity, becoming a better person. Why? Because I'm fine where I'm at. I'm just too comfortable, too lazy to do anything about it. Hey, wake up for church. Nah, I'm good. God loves me. I'm good. Hey, you should read your Bible. You should like be a better man of God to your, your wife, your kid. Nah, I'm good enough right now. They know me. I'm good. And all that's holding us back is our own complacency. Here's a third thing in our identity that's kind of a bummer that holds us back is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, this is different from complacency. Because with selfishness, you're actually moving. You're actually doing something. You're actually progressing. You're getting stuff done. You're hustling. You're getting busy in life. You're being productive. However, selfishness leads us in the wrong direction. God's trying to give us a new identity, and we're busy, 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 but the focus is on busy on meeting our needs, blessing us, what we think is right, having control and, and living life by what we think is right. We're busy about it, but we're not following the things of God that would actually make us better. And this is a word for somebody in here today is you need to stop being so selfish and being busy about making money. You need to be making memories. Some of you dads in here right now, that's just a simple word God convicted me years ago about. Don't be so caught up 
in the things that feed self. And even though you think they're good, well, I'm working hard to provide for my family. I'm working hard for this and for that. And God's going, you know what? You make money or you make memories. Spend some time with your kids, your wife, your friends. I don't know who that's for. I'm not trying to step on toes, but I know that God convicts me in that way. Sometimes I'm just after selfish motives. Amen? And that holds me back from God's best in my life. So I want to talk a little bit about the fact that God actually wants to give you a new identity. He wants to do stuff in you. He wants you to be a better father, better mother, better worker, better employee, better brother, sister, friend. He wants to give you that new nature that looks like Christ, that's holy and that is righteous and that you know you're getting better. He wants to do stuff to use you, but before God can do stuff through you to the world around you, God has to do stuff in you, right? He has to change you before he can work through you to bless the world around you. And so with that today, we're going to look at this guy named Elijah in Scripture. He's found in the Old Testament, and we're going to read the story where we first learn of him in the whole Bible. First time he's ever mentioned, we're going to hear his story, and he did some dramatic things, and we're going to pick up this story. Here's the back, backdrop. Here's the setting of what was going on historically in this time. So there's a nation of Israel. This is about... about 850 to 900 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. The nation of Israel is God's people, the Israelites, his people. This was before the new covenant where he's available for all of us Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, like he's, he's there for everybody. But back in the day, his special chosen people, the Israelites and the nation of Israel. Now the kingdom had divided. So there was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Where we pick up the story today has, has to do with the northern kingdom of Israel right now. And during this time, there's a period of about 200 years where God had brought in these kings to rule over his people. The problem is, for 200 years, for the span of 19 kings in a row, they were all corrupt, they were all evil, they were all leading God's nation, his people, away from God. There was political corruption, there was money financial corruption, there was slander, there was gossip, there was turning to false gods, false idols, there was temple prostitutes that were practicing all kinds of crazy, weird, gross, kinky stuff, there was actual child sacrifice to these other guys. I mean, it was just bad, it was ugly, and it was evil. For 200 years, 19 kingdoms, kings over the northern kingdom, God's people, kings were messing up. And right in the middle of it, there's this guy that we're going to read about that was the worst of the worst, and his name was Ahab. And this guy, Ahab, most evil king in all of the scripture, talks about that. But listen, he married the most evil woman in all of the Bible. Her name was Jezebel. And you guys may have heard of Ahab and Jezebel and just the, the, the evil, corrupt people that they were. And so here's what it says. Before we jump in and we hear the story about Elijah, this is the guy that was king on the throne while Elijah came about. First Kings 16, 30 and 33 says that Ahab, who was the king, son of Omri, did was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Verse 33 says, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. Now, this is interesting. God's bummed. He's hurt. He's angry. He's really angry that his people that he loves have turned their backs on him because their leaders have brought corruption. And here's what God does. In the midst of having no holy kings, and even the priests at the time were corrupt, and they turned from God, God towards all these other gods and child sacrifice and all this stupid stuff that he's going, I got no kings right there. 
I got no priests. And as God often does, he brings in one guy to stand up and make a difference. This is where we meet Elijah. Now, I want you to think about this. Sometimes all it takes is one person, one man, one woman, one kid to make a difference and to stand up for God. And maybe that person is even you. Maybe you're the one that God's going, I know everybody in your business, they're making money and whatever, but they're doing it through shady means. They're, they're, they're being sneaky. They're doing this stuff. I need you to stand up and be the, the person that stands up for me. I need you to make a difference. And maybe all the other kids in your class, they're all, they're all doing whatever they're doing and they're getting into trouble. And you're that, just that one girl that just stands up and goes, nah, I'm just going to do it God's way. And you stand up and maybe, see, God's only looking for one person to change the, the community all around him. So he brings in this guy named Elijah. And this is what's really cool about this situation. In the midst of all of this evil, look at what 1 Kings 17 verse 1 says. Now, Elijah, which his, his name actually means my God is Yahweh. In other words, his very name means my God is the one true God. So by his very, just his name, who he is, his present, presence, he's trying to stand up for what's right in spite of all the corruption. So it says, Elijah, this is where we first meet him in the Bible. He was a guy from Tishbe in Gilead, a little small village, nothing known about it really, nothing to speak of. He comes up to King Ahab, because God told him to say this, and he says, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there's going to be no dew, no rain during the next few years until I give the word. What was happening here was God was bringing in one guy to speak to the corruption. He goes, hey, these are my people. You're the king. I'm going to do something to show you, to punish you, a supernatural act to let you know that I'm the God. I'm the real God. I'm the one true God, and I want my people to worship me. Because of your corruption and your evil, Elijah's telling this guy, no more rain's going to fall in the land. And you would think like, oh, no big deal, no rain. You know what? This was an agricultural society. This was a society that, that was based on what they can grow from the ground, the animals, the livestock, the farming, and that if the rain stops and the rain stops falling and, and it shuts off the water supply, this is a national travesty. This is like turning the economy upside down. People are going to be losing their food, but they're going to be losing their jobs. It affects everybody. Thousands of people are going to be dying of starvation, Drought and famine, like this is a big deal. And Elijah comes in and he tells the king, this is what's happening because my God is calling you out on the evil that's going on in your life. But here's what I want you to catch. As we're introduced to Elijah in scripture, it doesn't say, now enters Elijah, the mighty man of God, to speak forth the things of God. It just says, here comes Elijah, a guy from Tishbe. I want you to know the Bible is trying to make a point. God's trying to tell us that Elijah is just a normal guy from a normal place. In fact, about 900 years later, the, the author of the book of James in the New Testament, James, James is writing about Elijah in James 5.17, and it says, Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a human just like us. In other words, God's trying to make a point here to say, you read about all the mighty things that Elijah did, but let's remember where he started. He's a normal guy from a normal place. Even James acknowledges all these years later, yeah, you know what? We know how awesome he was. He started off as a man just like you and me. Anybody in the room today feeling very average? Anybody, you just feel average? Like you're just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm normal. I'm average, right? And some of you didn't raise your hand, so you guys must be the ones that you think you're pretty amazing. Like, <laughs> own it. I'm awesome. I'm above average. Anybody, right? Anybody here today just going, I'm, 
I'm below average. Like, you know, I'm like the D student. Like, I, I don't even, I didn't make the C even. But here's the deal. The, the, the Bible's trying to tell us that, hey, Elijah, you're going to see some really cool stuff. They gave him a new identity. But he started just like you and me, just a normal guy. Here comes Elijah from Tishbe. Normal guy, normal place. So how did he get this new identity? Because we're going to read in the next few chapters, the next few weeks, this guy, he, he showed up to blow up. You know what I'm saying? Like he came and he did huge things for God. He started as a normal guy. Well, here's the first thing that I see is, as God begins to build our new identity. Remember, Paul said, you put on a new nature when you come, come to know Jesus, but you're putting it on every single day. You're getting better every single day. Here's one of the things that it takes. Number one in your notes is God takes us to painful places. Maybe not what you're expecting to hear. God's going to build a new identity. Right on, Pastor Carl, I'm taking notes. What, what's the first thing? God's going to take you to painful places. God is going to use pain in your life to bring attention to whatever needs attention, whatever needs to be fixed, whatever needs to be upgraded, whatever needs to have a little bit more of him. He's going to take you to that place on purpose. That's not very encouraging. That's not very hopeful. This is how God works. Listen, in the story, just as Elijah had been, had told the king, hey, no more rain's going to fall in all the land. You got to think about this. That caused pain for Elijah. He stepped up to the king that's already evil, and now the king is going to blame him for no more rain coming in the land. All the people of Israel are now going to blame Elijah as the guy that you made this stop. My friends and family are dying. I lost my job. Our nation is in a crazy economic ruin. You're the guy that made that happen. So Elijah's going, wow, I didn't ask for that. Man, I'm, I'm experiencing some pain here. This is what he tells him in verse 2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide. Like, dude, you better hide because everybody hates you. Go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. So he had to go run away. And this is the painful place. God often takes us to painful places. The word Kerith right here, you can write this down. It means to be cut off or separated from. In other words, that God had to isolate Elijah. He had to pull him away from the place of blessing and all the rest of the people and good reputation. And God sometimes has to do this to us. He has to take us through a painful place and it might be personal. It might be a hidden place that the rest of the world doesn't understand the pain that you and I are going through. Some of you walked into church today. No one knows. Friends around you, your family doesn't know the painful place that God is taking you with. What's going on in your head, your heart. Maybe there's stress, there's addictions, there's relationship turmoil, there's broken heart. I don't know. Sometimes God has to take us to these painful places. Here's Elijah. He's alone. He's humbled. He's broken. Sometimes God has to break you privately before he can use you publicly. Sometimes God has to go, man, this is going to hurt, but it's going to do something incredible in your life. I need to take you to this painful place or you would have never made the change. Like I need to get you there. And here's the, the word for today is that there is purpose in the pain. That God was about to do something incredible in the life of Elijah to build his identity but it had to start with taking him to a painful place. And the sooner that we can begin to, to embrace the pain and understand and stop, pain is only negative in the way that we respond to it. Think about that. Painful experiences happen, and we can either stay down, stay broken, stay beaten up, stay bloodied, and be mad at God, be angry, de be depressed, and it ruins us. Or we can take that pain and we go, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? How is this going to make me stronger? Where's the lesson that I can learn from that's going to build growth in my life and lead to better opportunities? Because if there's something wrong with my elbow or a physical part of my body that's broken, you know what happens is it's painful. And if I can stay there and just hold on to it, then I'm just going to always be in pain. But if I do something about it, 
it leads me to getting help. And when I go get checked out at the doctors, he might find other stuff that's wrong or I can improve maybe things that I'm doing that causes the pain in the first place, improve my diet, my overall health. I walk away from that and I go, wait, I've been, I'm actually better because of that pain. That point, pain some, pointed something out of my life. The, the relationship right now, why am I fighting with the person I love? Like it's painful, it hurts. Well, maybe God's gonna use that to say, hey, take a look at yourself. What are areas you can improve on? Or what did you learn about this person that you need to know about them? You can get better, but I needed to show you through the pain. You guys get what I'm saying here today? He had to take Elijah to this painful place because he was about to do something really incredible. There's purpose in our pain. A.W. Tozer, the famous author, wrote this. This is a good quote. It is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. That there's a reason for the pain. There's purpose in the pain. Pain in our lives is part of the process that God can do. Let me give you this verse that has been kind of a life verse to me. And I really usually like it in the the New Living Translation. You know there's different Bible translations, right? They put it in just, they reword the original text in a little bit different English versions. And what's so good about that YouVersion Bible app, which you can find on our church app, is that you can go through all these different King James, King James version of the Bible, how it was originally translated into English all those years ago. But you can go New International Version, New, New Living Translation. There's all these different ones. And I recently came upon this verse that I love in the message version, where this guy just kind of put it in everyday language. Now listen to this in regards to how you respond to pain in your life. Listen to the prophet Micah speak in chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. He says, but me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. Don't, enemy, crow over me. I'm down, but I'm not out. I'm sitting in the dark right now but God is my light. Is that a good word for you today? That's a verse to preach to the pain in your life, to preach to the people that try to shame you in your life, to preach to you when you want to be all self-pity party, right? Throw the pity luau for yourself. And the only friend that shows up is the devil. And he's just there to make you feel more stupid, right? Like when you're in that pity party, you preach this to yourself. You preach this to remind God that I'm in pain right now, but you're doing something in me and there's purpose in this pain. Amen? Winston Churchill, the great prime minister during World War I, World War II, all of this, Great Britain. And one of the, the favorite things that I, the quotes that I have from him is he says, when you're going through hell, keep going. Isn't that a good word right now for today? Sometimes God's going to take you to that painful place. How are you going to respond? Are you going to wallow in self-pity or are you just going to, God, I'm going through hell. Oh, that's okay. Keep going. Push through. Ask God. Show me, God, what the purpose is in my pain. What do you want to do in my life? I think it's a good thing sometimes. It builds character. And that's exactly what God was doing with Elijah. Hey, you just called out the famine, the drought. Now I'm going to tell you to go over to this place, careth, and be separated. Secondly, what happens when we go through the painful place is this, is that we learn daily dependence. This is what pain should do in our lives. It drives us to the point where we go, God, this hurts so bad, I can't do anything about it. I need you. I just need you. In the next verse, it says this, verse 4. God told him, go over to that brook. You're on your own. You're humbled. You're broken. You're going through pain. But I want you to drink from the brook, and I want you to eat what the ravens bring you. That's why the picture at the, the beginning of this, we got a picture of ravens. Is I want you to eat what the ravens bring you, for God says, I've commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. He camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this is like super weird. Are you guys catching this? Like literally you had takeout, you have delivery 
from birds every day. Like every day you're like, okay, I'm going to go camp over here. I'm in pain. I can't believe I'm alone. I'm separated. How are you going to provide for me, God? I don't know how to like hunt. I can't provide for myself. And he goes, Elijah, don't worry. The birds are going to bring you a Big Mac every day. Like the birds, like you heard of Uber Eats? You heard of like carry out? Like I got some birds and they're going to come take care of you. He's like, really, God? Like seriously? Birds. Yep. I got some birds. Some of them are going to have like bread in their mouth. Some of them are going to have like, like meat and barbecue from their dirty little beaks. That's all for you, bro. I got you. He's like, what? And what he's learning here is, man, I'm already going through pain, but the pain is driving me to realize I can't feed myself. I can't look after myself. God, I have nowhere to turn to but you. You see what God is trying to do in building his character here? He's trying to get him to have daily dependence and relying on God, there's this time in my life I've been through this season and I'm just kind of going, God, this is painful. I don't get it. I'm trying to strategize. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to read Proverbs, wisdom. I'm trying to fix it all on my own. You ever been there? You're going through problems and you think you can fix it all yourself? I've been in that place and I found out that the problems are bigger than me. They're bigger than my brain. They're bigger than my capabilities. And I came to a point where God just basically spoke this word to me one day while I was just freaking out, stressing anxiety. I can't do this, God. God says, Carl, Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to deal with the stuff that's right in front of you every day, and you let me worry about the big picture. See, daily dependence. He was bringing Elijah to the point of like going this. You just go live by the brook. The ravens are going to bring you food at breakfast and dinner. Just eat that. Drink the water from right there. But God, what if they don't come back tomorrow? What if the people still hate me? When's the rain coming back? Hey, let me worry about the big picture. I want you just to depend on me every day with what's in front of you and I'll worry about the big picture. Isn't that a good word for our lives right now? The way that you're gonna get the character and the integrity and the identity that God has for you is by learning to need God. You need to learn, some of you in here, you need to learn the difference between wanting God and needing God. You've been in through life in a lot of places in life where you're like, well, it's a good idea to want God. Maybe I should read my Bible. I haven't read it in a while. Maybe it'll be something good for me. Yeah, I wanna get close to God. Yeah, maybe I'll go to church today and I'll show up and maybe that'll be good for me. And, and maybe I'll like kind of do some of this stuff. Yeah, that's good. I want that, God. I, want, I, want, I desire more of you in my life. That's good. God wants us to desire it. But there's a whole nother level when you get to the point of needing God and not just wanting God. Do you guys know what I'm saying here? Daily dependence, I want to be a person that lives in the needing God attitude, not just in the casually, oh yeah, I want God. That's cool. Let me tell you this, in my life right now, I need to wake up every morning and I need to pray and talk to my God. It's not that I want to, like, oh yeah, I want to spend, yeah, it's good to know God, sure, but it's deeper than that. It's the point where, God, help me. God, I need you so bad in my life. There's stuff that is beyond me, beyond my, my, my brain and my wisdom. I have to meet with you. I have to talk to God every day in prayer. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's needing. That's daily dependence. I read my Bible not because I check it off the list and I did my good thing. I'm a good little Christian. I did this. I read my Bible because I'm like this. I need some help in my life. I need answers. I need to know the promises that you promise in this word that tell me that you still got me, that you still love me, that things can work out good in my life, that I can find answers to what's going on in my I need that. When I come to church, God, when I worship, yeah, it's a catchy tune, and I like to sing that new song. Your love is like an echo, echo. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's a good new song. But you know what I need? I need to let my God know how much I'm relying on him. So when I worship, I'm all in. God, it's you. You're the one in my life that's providing for me. So I need to tell him I need to worship. Are you guys hearing me on this stuff? I need to go to church. 
Yeah, I work here, I get paid here. If I got laid off tomorrow and I never got hired as a pastor, I never worked for God again, I would still need to show up to be around the body of Christ because I need people that have my back. They're praying for me. They keep me accountable. They're cheering me on. They're encouraging me. I need the body of Christ. Listen, there's a big difference in your life when you discover it's not about wanting God. It's about needing God. Amen? Daily dependence is going to take you further than you've ever been. And this is what Elijah is learning. Now, here's the last thing that I think is so powerful is because of the painful places he went through, because he's learning to trust God like never before, every single day, every single thing. I need you, God. I need you. I'm relying on you. That it's giving him the capacity to now obey God. The third thing is that new obedience builds a new identity. He now has a capacity because, man, I've been in pain, but God showed up and he's meeting all my needs and there's... There's birds that are feeding me. I can't believe that. That's super weird. But God is providing for me. So now when God says, Elijah, here's the next step. Here's what I want you to do. Elijah's all in at this point. He goes, I'm obedient because I've seen God be faithful. So look at what God asks of him. This is interesting. Verse 7, as he's living off the dependence of God from the brook and from the ravens, it says, after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, Near the city of Sidon, I've instructed a widow. Her husband died. She's there, and she's going to feed you. She's going to take care of you. So I need you to go over there. I need you to live with her right now. Now, first of all, what I notice in this verse is that the brook, the brook dried up. And I kind of question God on that. I'm like, I don't get that, God. That was from you. That was your provision for him. Why did the brook need to dry up? Like, that was your saving grace in where he was at in life. The brook dried up. Like, why would you do that to this guy? You're providing for Why would you take away the thing that was, like, sustaining him and taking care of him? And basically, the thing is this, is there's things in our own lives that need to dry up, need to stop, need to die, so that God can move us to the place of the better blessing. You guys get what I'm saying in your life? Think about it like this. That maybe the job that you once had, there was a blessing from God. And it served you well all these years and it provided income and, and took care of you and all that. Maybe the company goes under or you get laid off unexpectedly for some reason. And you're going, God, the job just dried up. Like, what's going on with that? Maybe it's a relationship you're in. Maybe there's stuff going on in, in friendships. Or, I mean, I thought these guys were always going to be there for me. We had a good thing going. And, like, now we're, what's going on? We're falling apart. Is it, the friendship's drying up. The marriage, the, uh, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, or what, what's the, the romantic relationship. Like, it, it's, what's going on, God? What? I don't understand what the season is in my life. It feels like it's drying up in my life. I, I don't know what it, what it might be. Your finances. I'm crashing right now. Lord, this is hurtful. This is painful. Like, I, I had this income. I don't have that anymore. Could it be that God's saying, I need that to dry up because I'm trying to do something in you that's going to bring about a better blessing? That you need to move from this brook at Kareth. I need you to move to Zarephath, 85 miles away, to live with this widow that widows back in the day, they couldn't provide for themselves, right? Your husband dies. The man was the breadwinner of the family. Women didn't work. So basically, they relied on the, the, the donations from other people or if they had a son that could take care of them or they just had to die on their own because they couldn't be taken care of. God, wait, you're telling me you just dried up something that you provided, the water, and now you're telling me to go far away and to do this thing? And Zarephath, that's not even a village that's a Jewish village. That's not Israelites there. That's your people, God. You don't want me hanging out with them, right? This is Old Testament days when God's nation was to be holy and not intermingle and not intermarry with other religions. Wait, you want me to go to a Gentile city? 
she's a widow. She can't even take care of herself. How can she take care of me? And that's a long ways away, 85 miles away. God, you're telling me to do that. Why did the brook have to dry up? I'm telling you guys, maybe the word for you today is, what has to dry up in your life so that God can move you to the better place, the place where you're supposed to be? And maybe instead of fighting the thing that's drying up, maybe God's speaking to you in that, and he goes, that, that has to happen because I'm trying to get you to somewhere better. Is that a good word for you today? I mean, that's, it didn't make sense. Why did the thing have to dry up? But I realized what was happening. And so he goes, and he's obedient. He takes a step of obedience because he goes, God, you've been providing for me so far. I can trust you to do the crazy thing. That dried up, okay, you're still in this. You want me to move to go over there? You're still in this. Here's what happens. He moves to Zarephath. He finds the widow. She's out gathering sticks for a fire. What are you doing, lady? Oh, I'm just gathering sticks. Well, go get me some water. I'm thirsty. I just came 85 miles away and my brook dried up, right? She goes, okay, I'll go get you some water. Hey, while you're getting me some water, give me some bread. Can you give me something to eat? I'm super hungry. And she says this, look, I'm sorry, man. No disrespect, but I'm gathering wood right here because all I've got is my son at home. I'm a widow. And our jar of flour to make bread and our jar of oil, we're done. Like, I'm getting sticks to build a fire so that I can cook our last meal, and then my son and I are going to starve to death. That's literally where we're at. And here's Elijah that went on obedience, and because he's full of obedience now, he just goes, that's not going to happen in the name of the Lord that I serve. You will never, your jar of flour, your jar of oil will never run out until the rain comes back and it brings healing to the land. And sure enough, he stayed there. He lived with her. She baked the, the last meal, served it, and she goes, wait, there's still some more flour. There's still some more oil. And for days, for weeks, for months, for probably years, those jars never ran out, and God provided for them. Then at some point in the story, if you're reading 1 Kings 17, go read it. It's a really cool read. Is that her son, her only son, got sick and he died. And she's going, wow, you came here to save us, but now you're going to let my son die? And he goes, no, no, that's not how my God works. And he's full of faith now and boldness and obedience. And he goes, you know what? I got this. Bring your son, grabbed his body, took him to the upstairs room where he was living, and he prayed for the son. And he laid his body on the, on the son's body, prayed three times, and God resurrected the boy. This is the first recorded place in history in the Bible thus far, the Old Testament, where someone was resurrected from the dead. And so this miracle happened. But listen, if he had not obeyed God when the brook dried up, he would have never made it to Zarephath. We'd have never worked these incredible miracles. He would never have saved the lives of these two people. He would have never known all the blessing if he would have said, oh, my poor brook dried up. I'm just going to stay here and be mad about it. But it was because of the obedience that said, God, I trust you. You've been feeding me every day. You've been taking care of me. You tell me to go somewhere, I'm going. You tell me to jump, I say, how high? You tell me to do something that's crazy, that doesn't make sense. Lord, you want me to talk to someone? You want me to quit that job? You want me to have boldness? You want me to jump in a connect group? Lord, you want me to start doing this, like changing my attitude? Like, what do you want me to do, God? Because I get it. I've been through the pain. I've learned to depend on you. And now, when you say to go, I'm going to go. He was developing this crazy new obedience. There's a verse of, in Isaiah that I love that talks about this kind of an obedience. Like Elijah leveled up in his obedience. It, it, in Isaiah 50 verse 7, it says this, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. Isn't that a good verse? 
to just go, I've set my face like stone, determined to do God's will. Like I'm going to obey God no matter what, and I know I'm not going to suffer any shame for it. Whatever God's calling you to do in life right now could be a big step of obedience, and you know it. You know he's been talking to you. You know this sermon right now is talking to you. You know things you've been reading or, or songs you're hearing and people are saying stuff and you know that God is saying, hey, I'm calling you to do this in your life. Take this step. And you're kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. Can I trust you? I'm going to tell you this today right now. When you determine to set your face like stone to do God's will, you will not be put to shame. You will not be embarrassed because of it. You will not suffer because of it. God is trying to take you somewhere that's going to be a better place. Listen, the journey from where he was at Kareth Brook to Zarephath was 85 miles. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a horse. He didn't have, he just had him, Elijah, hiding by the brook that now dried up. And let me tell you, this was a long, arduous, hard, dry, hot, hungry, thirsty journey that he made to find this. But the better blessing came because he obeyed. But listen, right now, some of you might be, like me, on that long, hot journey. The journey from something drying up in your life to the better blessing that God has ahead of you in your tomorrow, you might be on that long journey. My encouragement to you today is stay on that journey. Don't settle down at what dried up and mope and be sad and throw pity party for yourself. Stay on that journey because God has something better for you right around the corner. Can I get an amen to that? You got to believe that. You got to set your face to stone and go, I believe that. I'm holding on to what God does. Now, here's the result. Verse, verse 24 says, after all of this, the son was saved, they had food. The woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you're a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Listen, he was becoming a better man, a new identity, a man of God, to the point where he didn't just know it, but it showed. How many of you guys know it's so much better when someone else notices that you're getting better? Right? Would you guys say that's true? Like, it's one thing to go, I think I'm doing a good job. But when someone else comes along and goes, hey, good job. I see you right there. Listen, wives and kids, today's Father's Day. It wouldn't hurt you. It would only help you to tell that dad, tell that man in your house to say, we see you. You're getting better. You're doing a good job. You're getting better. You know what that does to build your confidence if you're, if you're a husband? And husbands, in the, on the flip side, tell your wives. Tell your kids you're proud of them. Tell them that you see that they're getting better and they're trying harder and God's doing things in their life. Wouldn't that be a good word to say today on this Father's Day from, from everybody in the family to one another? Man, you're just getting better and she saw it. Let me tell you this. I caught the wave of my life 20 years ago when I was on a surf trip to Mexico. We got any surfers in the room? Anybody surf at all? Anybody can relate? Okay, you guys don't. I'm gonna tell the story anyway. I'm just gonna hope that it makes sense in Jesus' name. So I caught the wave of my life. I was, I was at a surf trip down in Mexico with just one other buddy out. We are in Baja, California, serving this spot. And we paddled out, and there's only two of us, hardly anybody on the beach. There's one lady on the beach, like an old Mexican woman that was selling like blankets and cheap sunglasses and like chiclets, gum, because that's what they do, right? So like, she's selling that stuff. But we were out there basically on our own, and, and the waves had gotten better as we were out there. The wind had died down and the waves got smoother and more glassy. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven right now. My friend was so far down the beach, I couldn't see him. We each had our own peaks. I didn't have to fight for any waves. This wasn't like I was surfing all of bowls. I'm like, by myself, just God is blessing me. And this one set comes in bigger than I've ever seen before. All that day, I paddle for it. I'm the only guy out. Why not? I take it, take off. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, this wave's gonna barrel. You guys know what the barrel is when it goes over you? Like for you non-surfers, I'm trying to explain to you. The ultimate thing that surfers look for is a, a tubing wave, a barreling wave that you actually ride inside of it, right? So pull in and I'm like all crouching down. Oh, I gotta make this, this is a barrel, this is awesome. Starts throwing over me and I'm like, oh, this wave is good. I'm in there, I'm locked in, this is amazing. And I realize this thing's big. So I start standing up and I'm like, yeah! I'm like in the thing, and it's like, yeah, this thing's huge, and I'm still in. This is amazing. And I'm going, and I'm like thinking, oh, I'm going to come out soon. It just keeps on throwing over me, over me. It felt like minutes. It was probably like seven seconds or something. It was like long, and I'm like, ah, yeah, and literally I get spit out at the end of it. And I'm like, ah, looking around. My friend is like 200 yards out, super far. He didn't see me. I'm looking, yeah, Lisa, lady on the beach, right? Yeah, look on the beach. She's not even looking. She's like, da da da, selling her stuff, right? And I'm just like, no, right? Because the greatest wave of my life just happened and nobody saw it. See, how many of you guys know that it's always better when someone sees what's happening in your life? Amen? Here's what's so cool, and I'm gonna end with this. I'm talking about Elijah, new identity. He starts off, normal guy from a normal place. Here comes Elijah from Tishbe, right? Normal place. By the end of the story, here's a woman going, oh. You got a new identity. After all that just happened, you went through some pain. You learned dependence on God, but you followed with total obedience. Now I know that you're a man of God. And the words that come out of your mouth, you speak truth. Here's the lesson for us today. God wants to do that in your life. It's going to be a process where you might be going through pain, maybe right now. You might be learning to need God again, not just want him casually but you're going to learn to need him. When you learn to be dependent on him, there's going to come a new level of obedience where whatever he tells you to do, you do. And you're going to find that that journey from, from drying up and being dependent on him to the greater blessing, man, it's coming for you. It's right around the corner. The new identity is coming in Christ if you allow for the process. Is that a good word for you guys this morning? Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and, and we'll get you out there on this Father's Day. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this lesson. We thank you for Elijah. We thank you for how you use him to speak to us, Lord. And if we're in that painful place, help us to push through. And God, if we're learning dependency, help us to surrender and to depend on you because surrender feels so good. And Lord, if you're calling us to do something right now, we're convicted. We know that we're supposed to up our game. We're supposed to obey what you're leading us into. It doesn't look like it makes sense. Seems like it's impossible. But Lord, give us the courage to take that step of faith and to obey you and allow it to change our very nature, our character, our integrity, our worth, who we are. And Lord, I pray that other people in our life would see it, that we'd be making a difference, that you would do things through us, not just in us. Lord, we love you. Right now, we just ask in prayer that if there's anybody in the room that you need to make a commitment to God today, this is your moment right now. This is maybe the simple act of obedience that God is asking you to do. He's about to bless your life. He wants to do more in your life. He wants to show you stuff you've never seen, but you have to let him. God is a gentleman. He's never going to force himself on anyone. He wants us to choose to actually let him into our lives. And if that's you here today, then maybe you, you once did years ago. You said yes to Jesus and you were a Christian. You know you're a Christian, but maybe you're like, I don't know if I still am. Not that you lose your salvation, but maybe, maybe it wasn't even real in the first place. Or maybe you're just so far away that you need to reconnect with him. We're going we're gonna to pray together right, for that right now. Same prayer is going to be for somebody that's coming to God today for the very first time. 
that's however you got to church here doesn't even matter today the word was for you that God's trying to say come my way believe in me let me into your life I can change it it might have some pain involved but I'm going to teach you to depend on me and obey me and man the blessing is going to come you're going to do some amazing things in life if you let me so if you would like to pray that prayer with me right now I'm just going to lead you in that prayer and here's how we're going to pray it I'm going to pray the words for you and and I'm going to pray them out loud you're not going to pray it out loud. I want you to just own it in your heart right now. You take the words I say, you make them your words in your heart to God. I'll pray it out loud. You just pray it under your breath, quietly, in your heart. God hears you. He sees you. He honors that heart. He is going to change your life. That is a promise. It's not a maybe. Stuff's going to happen as you put your trust in him. If you'd like to pray that with me right now and know for sure that you're going to heaven, your sins are forgiven, you're walking out of this room a full-on Christian all in, that doesn't mean you're perfect, but now God's 100% on your side. If that's you, can you just let me know right now? No one else is looking. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Can you let me know who I have the privilege of, a privilege and honor of praying with this morning? Can you just raise your hand right now? Raised hand just means, Pastor Carl, I wanna pray this prayer. I'm in, I want God. Good, I see some hands going up. I see you back there. I see you over there. I see you, again, you just need to know you, that you're seen. I see another hand over there. I see a hand on this side, some over here. One, two, three in a row right over there. Praise God, if you're watching online and you're responding to this, you're in the kid zone, you're in the courtyard right now, God sees you. You need to know that. I see these hands up front too. Praise God. This is the best moment of your life. You may not realize it now. It changes everything. Put your hand down right now and pray this with me in your heart. God, I'm here today. I need you. I want you. Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. Would you come into my life and change me? From here on out, I'm going to follow you. I realize that you're not trying to condemn me or judge me. You're just trying to help me and fix me and heal me. So Lord, I repent. I turn away from my old lifestyle, my old nature. And Lord, I want you. I want you to show me. Lord, thank you for creating in me and my life and my heart a new creation right now. Lord, I am eternally in your family. I don't even fear death because I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with you and your family for the rest of eternity. Thank you for being my God from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, the church says amen. Amen, amen. Can we praise God really quickly for those people? Amen.